This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, our series continues as we learn how to step closer in the middle of a mess. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now. We're in week number five of our Step Closer series. Come close to God and God will come close to you. There is a opportunity that lays out there that oftentimes we don't access. I think that there are things in God that we have not experienced. Maybe you want to have more freedom and more, you want to have more uh, peace in your life or you want to have more energy to stay in the journey. You want a sense of God's healing in your life and you're like, how come I don't have it? Well, part of the opportunity and the privilege we have is, is if we step closer to God, how many know he's got all of that in him? And if he comes close to us, then watch out, baby. So the whole idea that we've had in this series is how can we step closer to God in the middle of all of our life circumstances? And we looked at the life of David and how David stepped closer in the middle of feeling overlooked or moments when he's dodging spears or when he is avoiding or facing giants and then he takes down the Goliath or even in the middle of the worst moment of his life when he's lost his dreams. Every season and stage of his life, he learned to step closer to God. And guess what? You can too. You can step closer to God in any in season and anything that you're going through. Some of you are like, you don't understand, Pastor Nate, what I've been going through. Well, I just want you to know God has given us examples in his word of how we can step closer to him in any and every season. When we are focused in on ourselves and our needs, we might be slipping and not even know it. We might be in a place where we're putting ourselves in vulnerable place and we don't even know it because we're caught up in that one fixture, that one selfie, and we're looking at ourselves. And when it comes to our lives, the result of whatever we've done kind of throws us into a mess. And we don't know how we got there, but we end up in a mess. And so I got, I got a mess on this platform. Some of you are like, that's my bedroom. I mean, it's just a mess. How many can, you got, you got the memory of your mom saying, clean your room, right? But we find ourselves in a mess and we're like, how did we get here in the first place? And I mean, we've got all kinds of things. This is the, the, I worry all the time mess. And you're like, why do, why am I worried all the time? I mean, we got, we got the, I lied mess. Uh, and I lied and oh shoot. Um, something happens next. This is the, I think I'm better than them mess. Because now all of a sudden we don't have any friends and we're wondering why. And I think I'm better than they are. There's judgmentalism or pride breaks out or, or I never have enough. I never have enough. It doesn't seem like I got something, I bought it. I got the spouse, I got the house, I got the job. Why does it not seem like it's enough? And we're in the middle of the mess. I had sex before marriage, and we find ourselves in a mess. This one is, I can't stop spending. It's the, I can't stop spending chair. Anybody here found themselves in that mess? (laughs) Somebody in Spring Lake Park said, amen. They're not ashamed. Now, there are some things that are messes that seem simple, but when they're left unattended, they can become a bigger and a bigger mess in our life. 
We're going to look at a story of David when he was in the middle of a mess. And one of the things that I love about biblical heroes, everywhere you look in the scripture, is they keep it real. So you got heroes, but they mess up. You got Moses, he murdered somebody. You got Peter, who lied, right? He lied, I don't know Jesus, and Jesus still brought him into the story. So you've got all these people that mess up, but God gives hope to them in the middle of the story. We're going to see in David a story. I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to answer the question today, how do I step closer in the middle of a mess? Here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and they laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And she had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. And then she returned home. Verse 5. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. How many know David is in a mess? He got the note, he did something he shouldn't have done, and by the way, he knew he shouldn't have done it, because here he is at this point in the story, the law had already been given. There were things that you were not allowed to do according to the scripture that came from God. You're not to kill, you're you're not to lie, you're not to commit adultery. Adultery is having sex with someone that is not your spouse. And by the way, David knew all of those things and he didn't make a mistake. It wasn't like he went on the roof, he saw something, oops, it wasn't my fault. How many know we live in a generation that wasn't me? Wasn't my fault, something just happened. It popped up on my, my screen, a little thing and I, Clicked it, and all of a sudden, I'm into pornography. You know what David did? He sinned. It's a word that has been removed somehow, even from church circles, it seems. But the reality is, sin entered the picture. Sin will kill you. Sin is not something that the Bible overlooks and calls a mistake. Sin is something that God says don't do it. And God doesn't say don't do it because he doesn't like us. God says don't do it because it'll hurt you. See, God knows our, how we're wired because he created us. And he knows if we take a step into something that we ought not be doing, it's not just, well, you, only church people can't do that. You guys don't have any fun. No, God knows you can do that, but the end of it is going to be death. The wages of sin is Sin. So sin comes into the picture. Call it what it is. And he sins. But I want you also to catch something right in the first part of the chapter. 
In the springtime, when the kings go to war, it says. Who's the king here in this story? David is. Did David go to war? So listen, friends, his purpose and his responsibility was to be at war. And when you're losing purpose, it equals danger in your life. When you lose purpose and you live randomly and you're not living for the purpose of the glory of God and you're just kind of following whatever pops up on, on, uh, uh, in your life and wherever a friend wants to take you and you're randomly following things and you're not living on purpose, then you put yourself in a dangerous place. David had removed himself from his purpose and he was in danger in the springtime when kings go to war. And by the way, I would say that this was David's first sin in the story. It was disobedience. He wasn't doing what God had called him to do. His first sin was disobedience. He wasn't where he should have been, and he was vulnerable. Parents will sing little songs to their children trying to get them to learn what to do and how to avoid things. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little mind, what you think. Oh, be careful, little heart, what you love. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Why do parents have their kids sing that? Because they know that the shiniest objects get the kids' attention. The conversations around them get their attention. So be careful about what you step into because it can take you into something else. And if a parent knows that about their child, what happens when we grow older? The father up above is still looking down in love and he is saying to us, oh, be careful. If you're not on mission, you are in danger. And the further you get, from your purpose and living on purpose, the closer you are to sin. David, his eyes wandered. He was not where he should be. He was up late at night. He was surfing the internet, whatever it may be for you, and he was not where he should have been. And how many know idleness is the devil's playground? James 1, speaking to the church, James says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to what? Sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to to death. So we may start off doing one thing and it throws us into a mess. But if we don't deal with it, it grows into another thing and it's multiple messes. And I know none of you have ever been in multiple messes in your life. It's not a mistake. It's sin. And if you don't deal with that sin, it will kill you. Second Samuel eleven fourteen. By the time we find David, he hears the word 
I'm pregnant to verse 14. David has now gone through a series of events where he's covering up. He's covering. He doesn't want anybody to know about it. And so he calls Uriah, uh, the, the, wife, the husband of Bathsheba, back from the battlefront. And he tries to get him to sleep with his wife, maybe cover it up so he won't know that the baby's not his. But he wouldn't do that thing. And Uriah actually is like the comparison to David. Uriah is like David should be. And because that didn't work and Uriah goes, is about to go back into battle, the next part of covering up sin and how sin grows in David's life we see in verse 14. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, the general, and gave it to Uriah to deliver. And this is what the letter instructed Joab. Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. How many like David now? He sent the guy with a note that was to kill him. David is so self-deceived, so caught up in the mess that he trades one mess for another mess. And it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And friends, the cover-up is always worse. The cover-up is always worse. Just look at the politicians in our land or famous people or public notoriety level of people. Think of all of those people. What happens is we think the world of them and we find out some information comes out and all of a sudden the balloon gets popped. Maybe they weren't as good as we thought they were. I can tell you this, sin will always find you out. You might be covering over it and denying and delaying people knowing about it. And, and as long as you're doing it, the facade is out there and it seems like I'm okay. But if you got that sin undealt with on the inside, it will take you out in the long run. David covers up in progressively more sinful actions. He calls Uriah off the field and he tries to deceive him into compromising his role as a soldier and ironically it was David that should have been at the head of the army, and instead he kills him. One of the dangers of seasoned, successful leaders, listen to me, those of you that are in authority, you've made your way up, you own your business, you're in a position of authority in your role, you're respected. The danger of seasoned, successful leaders is to begin expecting people under your authority to do something you no longer do. David felt entitled. He could stay back. And it put him in a place of danger. And in a sense, he was retreating from being open and honest before God, and he was withdrawing from worship. And withdrawal from worship leads to disconnection from your help. And then sin grows in the dark and the places where the light doesn't shine. It bottles up. It's like a pressure cooker. It goes up inside, and it gets worse and worse and worse. It needs the light to clean it out. Because David was in this place, he was lying to himself. He thought he was okay. The public thought he was okay. But he knew this thing was going on. God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. But God loves us so much that at times he'll send somebody like the prophet Nathan to arrest us. What's the sign of somebody who points a gun at you? What do you do? Well, just watch what happens to David when Samuel talks to him, 2 Samuel chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell 
David this story. And he begins to tell a story about a, a corrupt guy with greed who mistreated somebody. There, there was a servant. And verse 4, it says, One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. And David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. So this is amazing to me. Think about this for a moment. I'll go on with the story. How is it that we're so complicated inside that on one hand we might be hiding something, on the other hand we're telling people what to do and we know what's right? How is it that we can have those kind of compartmentalization? It's easy to point the finger at somebody that doesn't think the same way as you politically because they're wrong in your eyes about some issue, but you might be hiding your own issues and you're pointing the finger. What have I always said? Point the finger, how many are coming back at you? Uh-huh. Three more, right? David is in that place where he's operating as a king and he's telling everybody what to do. He's got a hidden part of his life that has not been dealt with. And God sends Samuel to do something. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are that man. You're that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave your, you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Oh, that's a commentary I don't want in my life. What could have been, right? I would have given you much more. Verse 9, why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite, the sword of the Ammonites, and stolen his wife. Here's what I want you to catch today. Whether you are a new believer, you're curious and looking on and you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, or you've been walking with the Lord for decades, there are seasons in our life when we are deceiving ourselves. It's like we're in a coma. And we are doing behaviors we shouldn't do, or we're off purpose, we're not who we could be, we're, we're you without a Snickers bar, right? And there are seasons in life when it, that's where we get, and we need a Nathan. You know, we got a lot of people in, the, in America that consider themselves to be Christian. I believe in God. I, I receive his forgiveness. I love, I love Jesus. You were to ask them, they would say, I'm a Christian. But when it comes to the issue of sin, if sin is their master, Jesus is not their master. Repentance is turning away from the things that were controlling you and following the way of Jesus instead. America needs to repent, but the church needs to repent first. Can I get an Amen. I think we spend so much time judging everybody else about what they're doing that our own hearts, we need to confess where we're at and we need to acknowledge God and then we need to turn in our hearts and begin to follow him even more. We need to step closer to Jesus by leaving the other things behind. You can't step closer and hold on to that thing that's been pulling you down. Come on, somebody. You can't do it. 
We need to accept and receive the consequence. And David, in his moment, receives the rebuke from Nathan, and he determines whatever it takes, I'm going to take on what you're calling me to do. And he expects God to lead him. He knows there's still consequences. By the way, how many know that there are consequences to sin and our activity? And God doesn't take away all the consequences. But I'll tell you what, if I'm sitting in my mess and I got consequences for my sin, right? If I'm in the middle of my consequences, I would much rather confess to God from the middle of it and have him join me in my mess than to still face the consequences by myself. He joins us in the middle of it. And here's the coolest thing. Because David did not avoid the consequences and he embraced what was about to come next, David didn't become the mess that he had stepped into. Something about his future was transformed. And he learned to worship God in his mess. So I want you to get your Bibles out. Turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And I want you to see what David pens as his psalm in the middle of his mess. In the middle of his mess, David writes this psalm. And you can follow along, but I want you to catch the depth of connection that he had with God. He said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sins. See how he owns it? He says, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Say that with me. I have done what is evil in your sight. I want you to catch something. David doesn't pass the buck. He stops blaming the person in his life that he's frustrated with. And he looks vertical and recognizes God sees me. And he begins to say these things. Going on in verse four, you will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire what? Honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. I want you to catch something here. David then turns to God and he says, wash me, cleanse me, change me. How many know through the blood of Jesus, he can cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness? This is something that is echoed later on in the New Testament. We know this now that if we turn to God, he does transform and clean us out. But David's heart in the middle of the mess was to talk to God about it. Not just assume it happens and not just acknowledge the truth. He applies the truth to his life. Then he says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. 
Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I love this. He transitions. Remember, I've been talking about this whole series. There's something about the psalmist and David in particular. He starts his psalms off. He acknowledges who God is. Then he talks about where he is. The water's up to my neck and I'm sinking. Where are you, God? My friends are turning their back on me. He talked about all of his junk. He talked about all of it. But you know what he also did? In the middle of the song, because he was confessing and opening up to God, we see hope enter his song. Somewhere in the middle of his mess, if you will, God enters the song and you find David having hope in this moment that he didn't have before he started singing. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. And then this is the next step of hope, a future. Then, everybody said then. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves me. And then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Come on, somebody. Because I'll tell you this, in the middle of a mess, when all this is going on and it seems so overwhelming and there's no way to get out of it, when we turn to God and we acknowledge who we are and we say in the middle of the mess, I need you to change me, confess our sin and determine to follow him and turn from our wicked ways, if you will. It's amazing how God begins to give purpose and a hope for our story, for our future that we didn't have before we began. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. This is what I love. God can turn your mess into a message. He can turn your mess into a message. And he then leads you out of the mess. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org. Emmanuel Sunday services can be seen live every week at 9 and 11 a.m. at emmanuelcc.org. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers by visiting emmanuelcc.org. Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time, 9.30.